Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Mark, thank you. Don't ever take for granted your worship team. I want to tell you what, there's never a week goes by at Liberty that I don't get calls from churches that are requesting youth pastors and especially worship leaders so treat Mark well. Right, Mark? Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so true. I'll tell you what, it's just a, it's a challenge today to get good worship. And just your worship team. Thank God for your worship team, the band that you have. God's blessed your church. And I can sense when I walk into your church the presence of the Lord. And that's something to be thankful for as well. I'm in a lot of dead churches. You know what dead churches are? There's just no life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is life and there's liberty and there's freedom. So thank you. Just, I just wanted to mention that to you real briefly today. Just to never take for granted what God has blessed you with here at your church. And pray for your leaders and pray for the new pastor that's coming. I'll take a few moments at the end of the service here. If you just stick around for five or ten minutes at the end of the service... I want to explain a little bit about some of the things that I've discussed with the search team and how maybe I, as a representative of Liberty University and working with young pastors and student pastors and also pastors from around the, the country that call into Liberty that are looking and seeking positions, so how I could come alongside your church and, and help you. If you have your Bibles, a copy of God's Word, and uh, t- just uh, turn to Mark chapter 6. If you'd turn me down just a notch there, okay, just, uh, just a notch so I can scream a little bit, okay? <laughs> All right. I want to tell you what, I read this passage of Scripture, I can't tell you how long ago, and it literally stopped me in my tracks. I was dumbfounded as I was reading it. I couldn't make sense of it. And you know, I like to make sense of God's Word, and I, kinda, I like to get the concept of it, but I, I literally just... I couldn't get over what Jesus was saying to his 12 apostles. He had worked with them now for three and a half years, and the ministry that Jesus had with the 12 men was coming to a conclusion, a close. Jesus knew that the cross was ahead of him very shortly, in just a matter of a very short time, he'd be on the cross. He knew about his resurrection, obviously, and uh, the reason of his mission of coming to earth. But he's invest, invested himself 12 or, or three and a half years into these 12 men that would carry on the gospel after he leaves. And my, what a job they had. I mean, out of 12 men, 120 disciples and 12 apostles, and one of them uh, was kind of defunct and left the group there. They had to bring in another. But out of these 12 people, Jesus was investing in them to start the greatest move this world would ever know of, and it's the move of Christianity. And Christianity was started with 12 apostles and a handful of disciples And they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel and carry this incredible message as lambs were sent out among wolves of our nation, of our world. They were to go with this gospel. And because of those, the power of those men, because of what Jesus had instilled within them. Now there was some apprehension there on their part. They didn't exactly know, but Jesus was trying to warn them, I'm going to leave you. 
For three and a half years, I've cared for you. I've comforted you. I've taught you. I, I fed you. I, I, I mean, they were literally stuck together like glue. Jesus was pouring into their lives. And now he's saying, I'm going to leave you, and, uh, but I'm going to first of all send you on a journey to give you an, an example of what I expect of you. Read it with me. Mark Gospel chapter 6, verse 7, And Jesus called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them power, I love that word, gave them power, there's a lot of powerless Christianity today, amen? A lot of powerless Christians today. But Jesus said to them, I'm going to give you power over unclean spirits, and he commanded them, this wasn't a request, this wasn't an option. He said, I want you, I command you to take nothing for your journey. I don't know about you, but any time I go on a trip, I pack everything but the kitchen sink. I mean, it, now i got an RV tr camp trailer, so I even patch, patch the, uh, or pack the, the kitchen sink along with it. And you think I'm bad, my, you should see what my wife takes. I'm telling you what, we've limited our travel because I said I can't carry all her luggage any longer. She just packs everything imaginable from all her makeups and all her change of clothes and all her expectations. I, I, when I go on a trip, I want to make sure I've got a reservation where I'm going. I've got enough gasoline to get there and back. I, I've got enough credit cards to see me through. I've got enough cash stashed away different places. I, I know my journey and I, and I want to go well prepared. Uh, how about you? Would you like to take off on a journey and not know where you're going and Jesus say to you, don't take anything with you? It's kind of scary. But that's not the scary part of it. He said to the disciples, take nothing for this journey except a staff. No bag, no bread, no extra money in your money belt. Uh, where, thank God. Wear your sandals. <laughs> he didn't send them out barefoot. Go ahead and wear your sandals. Keep your coat on, but don't take an extra one. And he said unto them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there. In other words, don't make reservations. Don't know where you're going. In whatever house you go, stay there until you depart from that place. Verse 12, and they went out. And preached that people should repent and listen to the results. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 35, when they come back, it tells us when they come back from their journey, Jesus instructed or talked to them and said, What did you lack in your journey? And they looked at Jesus and said, We lacked nothing. Father God, I pray I'm going to have to fly through this message today, Lord. There's so much material and so much that I want to bring forth in a limited time. I pray, God, that we would understand that it's not about the resources that we have. It's not about the things. It's not about the stuff. It's about the staff. God, help us to understand we can do nothing outside of Jesus. We cannot bear fruit. We cannot be successful. We cannot accomplish the mission and the mandate that you set upon the church. Lord, we need the power that the early disciples demonstrated. We need power to perform ministry today. So, Father, in this journey that we're on, help us to 
make sure we have the essentials. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what puzzled me. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to send you out on a journey, and you're going to go with nothing in your hand except a staff. Now, I could relate to a staff because I grew up in a church, and, and uh, I was uh, always kind of looked at as the shepherd, I guess, because every Christmas they dressed me with a bathrobe, stuck a terry cloth towel on my head, and put a staff in my hand. Now, when I read this the first time years ago, when Jesus said, take nothing for your journey, but take a staff, I'm thinking to myself, take a staff? These weren't shepherds. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were doctors. And he was going to send them out on a mission. He didn't send them out to take care of the sheep on a hillside. What in the world did he tell them to take a staff in their hands and go with nothing else except that shepherd's staff? Well, it launched me into a journey. And for years, I did a word study about what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples, what he did say to the disciples. And as I began to study the word staff, I found out as I go back into the Old Testament, mataha, the Hebrew word, was translated from mataha, the Hebrew word, into many, many different translations, applying to exactly what the stick was used for. As I looked into the Old Testament, I found out that that word, Hebrew word, mataha, was translated rod, was translated stick, it was translated stave, it was translated scepter, it was translated staff, it was translated one, it was translated pole. So what I was finding out was that one word, mataha, could be translated into several, in our English translations, into several words that had different application and meaning concerning whose hand it was in. So the disciples, when they were going out, were not given a shepherd's staff, they were given a stick. And Jesus said, when you go into this journey, I want you to understand that the only thing that's important to you is you understand that it's not in the world's resources, but it's in that stick that you have in your hand. I believe the staff was a type. You know what a type is? A type is kind of a, a picture or a symbol or representation of, the, of what was in the old that was to be fulfilled in the new. So what Jesus was saying to the disciples is, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit has not come yet, but I'm going to give you a lesson today and teach you that when you go with a staff, that stick in your hands, that's going to be a representation of the power of God. Now that may seem rather confusing to you right now, but listen to me, follow through, don't judge me yet. I've wrote a, written a, an entire book on this, 200 pages, to do a step-by-step -step study and understand that this staff mentioned in the Bible, in Mateha, in the Old Testament, translated from Hobdos in the New Testament, had application, and every application that it had in the Old Testament and New Testament symbolized what the power of the Holy Spirit would do when He came. So what he was saying to them, I want you to understand, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to go to heaven, but there's going to be another part of the Godhead that's going to come with you. And in Acts, in, the Pente in Pentecost, he said, and you shall receive what? 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he's saying to the disciples, I want you to understand that all the things and all the resources and all the amenities and all the paraphernalia that you want to take out there to do successful ministry is worthless unless you have the Holy Spirit. So what was in their hand in the Old Testament was much more securely placed in their heart when the Holy Spirit came from heaven and gave them power. Man, did they, go, did they have power in the, when they went out? Well, they, when Jesus said when they come back, what, did you lack anything? And they looked at Jesus and said, man, we had the time of our lives. I mean, they did miracles. They performed incredible works and feats because they went with God's anointing. It was on the day of Pentecost where pre, pre, Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 were saved. It was in that particular journey when they came across, across the man at the gate, beautiful, and the man was crying out. He was lame and he was crying out for, for, for uh, 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 an offering, for, for uh, some money. And remember what Peter said to that lame man at the gate, silver and gold have we none, but we do have something. We have the power of God in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And I want to tell you, I'd exchange all the money in the church if we just had that kind of power. Someone say amen. Church is bankrupt of power today. I go from church to church. Thank God for the spirit of the Lord that's resting here. But I'm telling you what, I'm in some dead churches. There's no power. There's no effect. I mean, churches today that haven't baptized anyone in their baptistry for years. Matter of fact, Southern Baptists reported last year that 23% of all the Southern Baptist churches did not baptize one person last year. We're seeing all the efforts put forth and all the paraphernalia and all the resources. that the, Does the church have resources to do ministry today? I mean, we've taken everything. We've got all the stuff and we forgot the staff. We've got laptops, we've got computers, we've got cell phones, we've got internet connections, we've got satellites, we've got, we, we can travel around the world in a matter of hours, we've got jet travel. Uh, I mean, well, well, look at the church. We've got $400 billion worth of facilities in America to house the church, and yet we're not seeing souls saved. Yet we're not seeing the work of God, and their church continues to be powerless. We've got all the stuff. We got all the programs, but where's the power? I probably shouldn't stop here, but I've got, a, I've got an illustration. I just ha I have to. Th this is so, so apropos to and so fitting to what I'm talking about. When I was a young boy, uh, many, many years ago, <laughs> I had a friend whose name was Jimmy. And you know, when you're 16 years old, when you turn 16, you want to drive a car. Well, dad's never bought cars like they do today. You went out and you earned the car. Jimmy worked down at the gas station and uh, he decided he would uh, buy a car, get a car. And he was a mechanic because he worked at the gas station, knew his way around a car. So instead of going to find a used car someplace, he went to Jake's junkyard and he looked around. I, I remember going with him, going around, looking through the weeds, looking for this car. And he found a car that was just a 1953 Buick Special. And it was special. I'm telling you what. Uh, rusted out and everything. But it, but it had wheels on it. It had, had all the stuff except the motor was broken. And Jimmy said, that's no problem. So he had his dad hook on with a chain. And he hauled that 1953 Buick home. 
and he was used to working down at the gas station with the hydraulic lifts where he could crawl under it, work on it, and get the pistons and rings and stuff out and redo, redo the transmission. So he decides to put it under the oak tree in the, in the front yard and jack it up and put blocks under it. He had it six foot in the air sitting on blocks. Kind of looked funny. Everybody driving by kind of stopped and looked at it, figured what in the world's going on. But Jimmy started working on his car. And obviously the first thing he should be working on is the engine, but he didn't work on the engine. He got paid every week, and he would call me up and say, Randy, you need to come and see this, what I got. You need to come and see what I got. And I went, and he pulled out the ladders, the step ladders, and we all crawled up the step ladders. Me and two other friends, they sat in the back seat, and I would sit in the front seat, and Jimmy would show us what he bought that week. And it was floor mats. Look at, look at this. And then the next week, it was blue lights to make the floor mats shine. And then he put, uh, a week after that, every week on Friday, he'd call the friends over to come over, get step ladders up, crawl up, jump in the car, sit in the passenger seat, two guys in the back seat, and he got speakers in the back for the radio. Uh, he, he didn't put a transmission in it, but he took the transmission out, and he was going to put a standard shift in, so he got a Hurst four-speed four shifter in the floor, and he got fuzzy stuff around the steering wheel, and he hung some spiders from the, from the uh, a mirror, and... Uh, and we would crawl up in that car, up the ladder, sit there, and Jimmy would turn the radio on, and he'd play the Beach Boys. It was fun, 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 until Daddy took my T-Bird away, or uh, Surfing USA, or California Girls. I mean, he had the back speakers blaring, the floor lights, blue lights underneath there, and, and he would get a hold of the shifting rod, he would put his hand on that fuzzy steering wheel, and I'd see him over the light of the blue lights shining over there, he would pretend he was going through the gears. Music blasting and blaring. The window down on his side with his arm hanging out, he'd envision himself going through Dubois with the girls watching as he drove his 1953 Buick with the idea it was going to be canary yellow with a midnight black gloss top and all the blue lights shining up in his face and the music blaring with the windows down. Listen to me very carefully. For one year on Friday nights, Jimmy called his friends to come and sit in a car and see all the amenities he bought. And we would always ask him, when are you going to get the motor fixed? I went off to college and three years in college and every summer I come back, that, tr that car was still stuck up in that tree, six foot off the ground. I don't know if Jimmy ever got that car running, but Jimmy had all the amenities. Matter of fact, he even put an oogle horn in it. And there were certain times when he would roll that window down, he'd be going down, he'd, he'd say, hey guys, listen to this now, over the music player, ooga, ooga. then he'd blow his horn. You say, what does that have to do with anything? I see churches today that have no engine, that have all the amenities. We've got the choir in the place in the back seat. We've got the preacher behind the wheel. And we've got all the lights and all the smoke and all the screens and everything in our churches. And we come and we meet Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and there's no power. We're not going anywhere. We're not moving because the engine's missing. The engine is the Holy Spirit that God said, I'm going to give you power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do the work of the ministry. And our churches today are literally dying. Five new churches are open every week in America and ten churches close every week in America. We're losing the battle. And folks, churches are dying because there's no power and there's no effort in do or, or no Spirit of God to do the work of the ministry. I'm going to take you on a 
on a journey today concerning this staff, and I want to share with you the implementation. See, we've got all the education and expenditures and estates and endorsements, and we've got all the stuff, all the experience, but yet we lack something. We lack God's Holy Spirit in the power of the church to lift up Jesus and to accomplish His work. A.W. Tozier said, if God would choose today to take 100% of the Holy Spirit out of the world, most churches would go on with business as usual and never know the difference. Are we trusting in the power of God's Holy Spirit to do the work, or are we wrapped up in our programs and our performances? Is there the, uh, the, the uh, staff of the Holy Spirit, the, the connection between ourselves and divinity so that God can accomplish His work? You see, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 were saved. Today we can preach 3,000 sermons and one person gets saved. There's something backward and wrong with what we're seeing in America today in most American churches. We need God's power and we need to perform it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you this journey. As I said, it's going to, it may, may seem confusing because I, I did a journey and it took me an entire uh, year to investigate the word study. But as I began to do this journey through the Old Testament and make that application, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 19, every traveler had a walking stick, and it was called a staff. The Bible tells us that Jacob crossed Jordan with a staff in his hand. The Bible tells us that when God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said to all the fathers, make sure you take shoes on your feet, gather your family together, and go out of the land with a staff in your hand. What is the staff? It's a walking stick. Every time my wife and I go for a little hike, what do we take? My wife, I don't care about them. I guess I'm more sure-footed than she is, but she takes her walking stick. What does a walking stick do? It keeps us walking uprightly. If we go to stumble, we can catch ourselves. Is not that the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 5, to help us to walk circumspectly and uprightly? When we go to stumble or fall, is not the Holy Spirit there to aid us in our walk? It's our walking stick, and it's a beautiful walking stick because God says when you're on that journey, make sure you don't go anywhere without taking the walking stick of the Holy Spirit to, to go with you. And then, oh, the most familiar one with the shepherd's staff is Psalms chapter 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want thy rod and thy staff. What do they do? They comfort me. Is not the Holy Spirit our comforter? So when we look to the Lord for help in this journey, we look to the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to encourage us. Also, the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 14 that the warriors also had what they called staves. And a stave was nothing more than a stick that they got and they, and they sharpened up the end and they went to battle with a stave in their hand. They had no artillery. They had no divine weapons. Some of them didn't even have swords. The armies of God, many, many, matter of fact, it was Benaiah that went down against 800 Egyptians and slew 800 Egyptians with a stave or a staff in his hand. What is that? The Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who is our defense. Ephesians chapter 6 says it's the Spirit of God that is our defense. We have the weaponry, and the Bible says in Ephesians 6 all about the weaponry, and he calls it the sword of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our weaponry as a spiritual warrior. So don't go into battle without the stave of the Holy Spirit. And then we also find that 
teachers in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse two, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15 says that teachers had a stave in their hand or staff in their hand. I don't know about you, but I think our school systems went crazy wild whenever the staff was taken out of the teacher's hand. I grew up in a one-room schoolhouse, and I know what it's like to have a teacher that walked around the classroom with a staff in her hand. And you got out of line, you either got it across the knuckles or got it across the backside. How many grew up with a teacher that had a staff in their hand? When we've taken the authority out of the hand of the teachers, our school systems went awry. We need to get the stave of correction back into the classroom. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So it's the staff of the Holy Spirit that will teach us and instruct us in this journey that we're on. Also, in uh, the scriptures, in Exodus chapter 17, it talks about the miracle workers. And the miracle workers always had, the, 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 did the miracles, had a staff in their hand or a stick in their hand or a wand, it's interpreted. And even magicians today, what do they have in their hand? Representing the power, a little staff or a wand that they wave around. Because the staff is the wand of the, of, the, uh, of the miracle that's about to take place. So, so without the Holy Spirit, there's no miracle in our lives. In uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse uh, uh, 5, it talks about the, the king's scepter. And the king's scepter was his power or authority. Every king had a scepter. And when that king raised the scepter up, it was a power or signif signification or symbol of his authority. So also is not the Holy Spirit our scepter. We have no authority of our own. We have the authority of Almighty God. When Jesus said, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever decisions you, that you make, and whatever uh, you bind on earth, that you'll be bound in heaven, and whatever's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. He gave us, when He gave us the Holy Spirit, He gave us authority. Authority over the demons. Authority over darkness. Authority over the world culture that we live in. And if we're going to have victory in our world, we've got to pick up the scepter of the Holy Spirit and command authority to override the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places and darkness that surround us everywhere. So it's our authority. Well, we could go on with various implements, but let me just take a journey, if you would, with the men of God in the Old Testament. I call it God's men on staff. Think for just a moment before I forget this. When we say staff today, what, is it, what are we talking about? When I say your church needs a pastoral staff. What is the staff? Secretary. Secretary, associate pastor, worship leader. Those are staff members. And what do they do? Their responsibility is to support the church. When I say the flag is on the flag staff, what does that mean? The flag is flown as a banner and it's held up and supported by the flag staff. So the Holy Spirit is the staff. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Does he emphasize himself? No, the Bible says the Holy Spirit does not emphasize himself. What does he do? The Holy Spirit is the staff upon which Jesus is, is demonstrated and displayed. And if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. So the, so the Spirit lifts up Jesus so that all the world could see that that's where salvation is. You remember in the wilderness when Israel was sinning? And, uh, and God sent serpents down to bite them and poison them. What did Moses do? Moses had his staff and his rod, and he put a bronze serpent on the top of it, and he lifted that serpent up 
That staff was a support to lift up the serpent so that anyone that wanted healing had to look to the serpent who was who? It was Jesus who died on the cross who became sin for us. The staff of the Spirit lifts up Jesus. Over and over we find God's men on staff. Let me, let me talk for just a moment about, since we're on Moses, let me talk about Moses for just a moment. He was down in Egypt and he had all the world's resources. There was nothing that he didn't lack. He was the richest man in the, in the world. He, had more, he was second to Pharaoh. He had more power. He had more education. I mean, he was, a, he was a prince of all princes. And when God called him, God sent him out of Egypt and put him for 40 years on the backside of a wilderness till when Moses' hair was pure white and his skin was sun-bleached and wrinkled. And then the Spirit of the Lord, God, came to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to call you to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. What did Moses say? Well, God, you're a little bit too late on that one. I used to have the power. I used to have all the money. I used to be able to speak. But now 40 years talking to sheep, I can't even talk. You want me to lead a mil three million people out of Egypt? I can't do it. God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? And Moses said, what do you mean? What's that in your hand? It's a stick. And God said to Moses, is it any good? And Moses said, it's just an old stick that I carry around. You put that stick in my hand for some reason out there to guide the shepherds, out to guide the sheep. Well, is it any good, Moses? No, it's not any good to me. Then throw it away. Moses threw the stick away. What happened to it? It turned into a serpent. I want to tell you what. We discard the Spirit of God. It becomes a very curse upon us. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament uh, uh, Israel rejected the Father. The Father came to work. When they rejected the Father, He sent the Son. In the New Testament, they rejected the Son by crucifying Him, and then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you what, if the church rejects the Holy Spirit, there's no more the Godhead left. Are you, are you okay with me? You're kind of looking at me like I'm off base here someplace, but I want to tell you what, I, I can verify what I'm saying. I believe we've missed the symbol. We look at the Holy Spirit as, we, we symbolize it as oil, we symbolize the Holy Spirit as a dove, we symbolize the Holy Spirit as fire, but in all the theology books at Liberty and all the theology books I've ever been able to pick up, I've never seen the Holy Spirit symbolized with a simple staff. But yet it's all through the Bible. So Moses cast it down and God says, if it's no good, then throw it away. And he cast down and became a serpent. Then God said, go pick it up by the tail. And when Moses reached out to pick that, I'll tell you, he's got more guts than I do. I'm telling you what, I've been back 100 yards the other direction. Go pick up that serpent by the tail, and it became the rod. That power of God that God said, you take it in your hands, it'll be the power of success, Moses. You don't have to speak. You don't have to have eloquence. You don't have to have all the resources of Egypt. You don't have all the paraphernalia. You don't have to have all the programs. Just take that stick. And then he went to the Red Sea. And put it over the Red Sea, and what happened? The waters parted because there's power in that stick. That latent, old, primitive stick God used to symbolize that I'm going to send my Holy Spirit one day. It's a rod in your hand today physically, but one day in my church, it's going to be the symbol of the Spirit of living God that's going to be in the hand, or much more securely, in the heart of every believer. Moses parted the Red Sea. He also went to the rock and smote the rock. With, a, with his rod, and what happened? Water came out. God did miraculous things through Moses with just a staff in his hand. He had power 
to do the miraculous. He had power to do what he couldn't do in his own power. So what God is saying to the church, I want, you, I want to rob the church or dismantle the church of all the things that they think is successful. I want to dismantle the church so that I can reassemble the church with, as a glorious church with all the Spirit of God alive. Because I'm going to tell you what, in our culture today, we need power in our churches to live in this wicked and perverse generation in this corrupt culture. Oh, it was this that Moses said, Lift, I brought this ugly snake in to show you that Moses put the serpent on the top and anyone that looked to him would be healed. It's the staff of the Holy Spirit that lifts up Jesus. Are we, are we supposed to exalt the Holy Spirit? No, we exalt Jesus. The staff of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer needs to be empowered by that, believer, by that Holy Spirit to do the work that God calls us to do. Oh, there's all kinds of things. Remember David, little David? Uh, you know, we teach all of our kids, little David went down with a sling in his hand and destroyed the, the giant. But go back and read it again in 1 Samuel. The Bible says that David had a staff in his hand. It wasn't the stones that killed Goliath. It wasn't the sling. It wasn't David. What was it? David went with the power of God. In the name of Jesus, by the power of God, I get victory over the giants of our lives. We need the staff of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my. Aaron. You remember how God chose the, 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 the tribe of Aaron when all the tribes, they had to bring in their staff? said, all the tribes, I'm going to choose one tribe that will be my priests. Bring in all your staffs and lay them in the temple. And the staff that buds, that's the one I'm going to choose. Aaron brought his staff in and laid it with all the other, those 12 of them there. And it was Aaron's rod the next morning that started. I want to tell you, this old dead stick of what we, what we think is a dead stick, it, it starts to blossom and bears fruit when we have the power of God in it. And then also, oh, I can't forget this. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? There were three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. Don't, don't miss this. Three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. What were they? They were the book of the law, which represented the Father who gave the law. Then there was the manna that represented Jesus, the bread of life. But there's a third one in there that we often forget. What was it? It was Aaron's rod that budded. What would the Ark of the Covenant be if it has a representation of the Father and a representation of the Son and no representation of the Holy Spirit? God says, I put my spirit in my trinity inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, what? Everywhere it went, the power of God fell upon it. Israel was successful when they guarded the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the Covenant was in its proper place, I mean, Israel was incredibly successful. And great and powerful things happened. Miracles took place. No enemy could destroy them or come against them. Why? Because they had the Ark of the Covenant. Folks, we need the Father. We need the Son. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Trinity back in our churches today if we're ever going to stand in this spiritual wickedness and the darkness of our society today. God, give us that Holy Spirit. Give us that power of the Holy Spirit to live that life. Oh, well, I've got to, I've got to stop. I could go on and... Let me give you one more. Remember when, the, remember when the tribes or the spies went into the land of promise? Caleb and Joshua. And they came back with a, what do you call it, cluster of grapes i never seen a cluster of grapes that took two men to carry. Have you? I've been to Kroger. They brag on their fruit department. I've never yet seen a cluster of grapes that took two men to carry. The two men couldn't carry them, so how did they carry that fruit? 
They carried it on a staff bore between two. I want to tell you what. The Bible tells us that if we're going to demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it'll come by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the arm of flesh. And when we carry the fruit of the Spirit on the staff, we're able to see the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated. And don't try to do it alone. Don't try to do it on yourself. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, kindness, self-control. You can't do it. Outside the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But God's given us a spirit to carry that precious fruit. My, I'm done. But, oh, one other thing. God, God, I'm not here selling books. I didn't even bring them. So I think every time a preacher lifts up a book, they think, oh, no, he's got a box of books in his car. No, I'm not, I'm not selling books. I'm just saying, years ago, God allowed me to put this concept in a book. And what scared me about that was I no longer got the book written, and God said, I want you to go out and preach that message because it's missing today. Theology books haven't written about it. Preachers aren't preaching on it. I want you to go out and preach that. One of the first invitations I got to preach after writing this book, and it was published by Starburst Publishers in 1991, back in the dark ages, it was Book of the Year by Starburst Publishers and then distributed through Harvest House. But the first place that God called me to preach that was at the Open Door Jubilee in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It was a big Southern Baptist convention with uh, probably a thousand preachers from all over the country there. Janet Paschal was the mainline singer, and they had Bailey Smith and Sam Cathy and Paige Patterson and Jerry Falwell and all the big guns were sitting there. And God called me to preach Sunday morning. And I was wrestling with what to preach. And God says, you preach the staff of the book that I called you to write. And I'll tell you what, I wasn't very old at that time, but I'll tell you, I was scared to death. I was going to stand up in front of some of the most notable leaders of our country today, theologians, that I'm going to tell them we've missed something in our theology. This young preacher boy is going to tell us what we've missed in our theology and preach something that maybe we have never heard before. But God said, I've, called you to, with, I've given you this message. I want you to stand up and preach that message. And I did with fear and trembling. In front of that, on that Sunday morning congregation, I stood up and I preached about this staff of the Holy Spirit. Gave an invitation. Several people responded. And I walked back to the back in the foyer area. A big old huge foyer area, probably as big as this entire church, just the foyer. And I'm standing there greeting folks as they were coming out, and this man come running through the door. Talk about, I've never been chased out of a church with a stick, but this guy come running with this stick. This is the one he had. And he come running in the, back, in the front door, waving his stick over his head, and he calling, calling me, Hey, preacher! Hey, preacher! And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? I have never been chased out of a church in my life with a man with a stick. He come running up to me, and he said, here, pushed it out into my chest. He said, I've got a story with that stick. He said, I don't go to this church. I'm not a member of this church. I go to another church in Tuscaloosa. But this morning, I read in the newspaper about this conference going on. I didn't know who Randy Spencer was. I didn't know what you were going to preach today. But I walked out to get in my garage in my car. And I was coming to this church, and I noticed over in the corner of the garage this stick sitting there. And he said, for some reason, I've never noticed that stick. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it got there. I, I've lived in my house for 20 years. I said, walk through that garage, but that stick was stuck in the corner of my garage. And God said, go pick up that stick and put it in your car. And he said, while you were preaching today, God shared with me, you need to give that stick 
to that preacher and tell him to keep preaching that message everywhere he goes. Because the church will never thrive, the church will never be successful, and the world will never see evangelism, and Christians will never live up to the standard that I've called them to outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. That man said, take this stick and go everywhere and preach that Jesus has given you that message to preach about the power of God's Holy Spirit. So I can't not help but preach it, whether you agree with it or not. It's God's message to me, and it's God's message for the church. Who needs the power of the Holy Spirit? Moms need power of the Holy Spirit to be a mother. Dads, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a dad today. Secretaries in church, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work. Sound guys, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to run that sound, and you've done a good job today. Thank you, brother. Deacons, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help lead the church. Elders, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help give direction and spiritual life to the church. Pastors, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Who needs the power of God's Spirit? Every Christian believer said, dear God. So at that moment, when God shared that with me, I, I wish I had time to tell you where I came from. A little shy country boy in Luthersburg, Pennsylvania. At 12 year, or 13 years old, God called me to preach. At 15 years old, I announced it to my pastor. I've never, I couldn't even speak my name in public. I had a stuttering problem, and a, I was shy, and, and, and every time anyone come to the farm, I ran out and hid in the barn. And God called me at 15 years old, 13 years old, he laid on my heart. 15 years old, I announced to the pastor that I was called to be a pastor. And the current, some of the congregation kind of come up to me and said, you know, that if you're going to be a preacher, you've got to say something. I went to first grade at seven years old, and uh, it took me till nine years old to get out of first grade because the teacher couldn't, couldn't put, move me on to the next class because it never said anything, nor did I write anything. My dad said, Randy, if you don't get out of that first grade, that teacher's not going to know what to do with a student that has to shave before he comes to school. You need to get out of first grade. It was at 15 years old when God transformed my life when he called me to preach, and he put a staff in my hand, and I've been able to see this little country boy, shy and introvert with nothing to offer except me, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. And God used me to see literally thousands of people come to Christ. I've seen camp crusades of 12 and 1500. I've seen God build church from, from 15 people to over 800 people with high attendance of over 1,000. God has taken a little country boy. Why? Because of my ability, because of my good looks, because of my handsome social status, because of what I can do? Absolutely not. It's all because I was able to say, dear God, I take that spirit and I'll not go anywhere or do anything without the Holy Spirit as my, at, my, at my side. And you know, one day when I get to heaven, I believe the angels are going to come to the Father and say, He's here. But we just can't get that crazy stick out of His hand. And then Jesus will come along and say, Randy, you don't need it any longer because you're now in the presence of God. It was good for the journey, but now you're in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I, I just believe there's some today that your life is no bearing no fruit there's nothing there you just go through the motions 
You take every day, a day at a time, and you realize you're not living in victory. There's no power over sin. There's no success. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus? When's the last time you was able to influence someone with, as your light shining? Everyone from a teenager to a little child needs the Holy Spirit. And when we ask Jesus into our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. You can't have Jesus without having the Holy Spirit. It's not that we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs us. And when you surrender your life to the Spirit of God, He'll fill you with His power and His anointing. Whatever you do, musicians, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do in teaching, you need the power of the Holy Spirit because it comes alive. It's anointed. And it's filled with the presence of God when God's Spirit is in it and on it. I want to ask you right now, how many would raise your hand this morning and just simply say, that message touched my heart today. I realize that I can't be a father, a mother, a teacher. I can't go anywhere. I need the Spirit of God. Would you just put a hand up right now? I, I need the Holy Spirit. Thank you. God bless you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We just get to a place where we acknowledge. I need to be successful and fruitful in my life. I need to stop trying and let God do the work in and through me. So, Father God, many have raised their hands, probably a dozen folks here, and maybe many more should have, because, Father, I find that we're not living the way we need to live. We look at the Bible and we see all the things that we should be doing, and Jesus said, even greater works will you do when I go to the Father, because I've sent the Holy Spirit to empower you. God, the church is failing today, and my heart breaks for the local church. Because, Father, we're seeing churches closed, and we're seeing attendance dwindling, and we're, we're seeing the attack of the enemy destroying the house of God. Lord, we need to raise up the banner, raise up Jesus through the power of God's Holy Spirit and become successful again. So right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or make any decision in the front. You can make that decision right now, right here, in the seat where you are, just by calling upon Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you're my Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you live in my heart. And Lord, I want to yield everything to you. I want to take this journey with nothing. No bag, it's not my money, it's not my clothes, it's not my personality. It's all about you, God. I yield myself to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower me to live the Christian life and make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.